Woman telling her story. Come on, from the heart of the mystery, dispelling years of violence. We are breaking the silence. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cocoon Podcast. I am your host, Ruby. If this is your very first episode that you're listening to, then the podcast is an online platform that's dedicated to providing strategies and insight into trauma. Uh, We are affiliated with the Blue Butterfly Institute, a not-for-profit organization that is dedicated to empowering and advocating for victims and survivors of sexual trauma. Today's episode, we are interviewing the lovely Christy, who has a lot of experience within the legal aspects of uh, child sexual abuse and we are going to be discussing grooming today. So there will probably be uh, topics that are going to be quite confronting so please listen with care and also this is our very first online Zoom interview so the audio might not be as clear but I do feel that this is going to be a very, very valuable and educational episode. So please keep listening. We'll just get started. So can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. My name, uh, well, you know, my name is Christy. Um, it's just so funny because when I stand in front of a group of kids or like parents or whatever, I always introduce myself. Um, so, yeah, I... Um, I was a police officer for 10 years and during my time as a police officer, um, one year into the job, I put my hand up to become a specialist child interviewer. So for nine years of my career, I was a specialist child interviewer uh, and I interviewed children. So the specific purpose of that position is to obtain uh, uh, evidence for court so that children's evidence can be can be put forward to the court and it's recorded and there's a special training and it takes about five weeks and it's all about um, getting um, the most uh, the the best evidence we can for for children so that they're not having to go back and talk about it over and over and over again the less traumatizing way to do it Um, and then whilst I was doing that position I realized that I really wanted to be part of the the puzzle that was you know investigate investigating child sexual abuse so I hadn't had any experience before police got into the police and I went yes please I had a two-year-old daughter when I joined the police and a three-year-old daughter when I became a specialist child interviewer and then um yeah and then from there uh I became a detective and I specialized in child abuse so um I did that until the end of my career and um I was uh Part, you know, in parts, I was interviewing children. Sometimes I would, towards the end of my career, I was interviewing children, uh, investigating the the cases, and then, uh, you know, interviewing and locking up the offenders, and then managing the child sex offenders. So, when they got out of prison after they'd uh, served their sentence, so I had a bit of a, you know, from a policing perspective, uh, a big chunk of that was about you know what how people work and what they do and and observing exactly how child sex offenders um you know prey on children 
So wow. <laughs> that yeah. sounds amazing. I mean, that sounds like it's so confronting and what you're doing is helping so many people. So, I mean, obviously a really big aspect is childhood grooming. Um, mm. It is pretty I don't know the statistics specifically, but I know it's quite high when it comes to child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Are you able to give us a little bit of an insight into uh, what grooming is, particularly in children? Oh, sure, yeah. Well, um, child sexual abuse is one in three girls and one in seven boys uh, will be abused by the time they reach 18 years old. Um, and 90% of all child sexual abuse is done by someone known to the child, whether it be a family member, um, a, a distant relative or, or someone, but they're known to the child. Um, so uh, when I got out of the police, I decided that I wanted to share that information with everyone. And um, and so grooming is very much about what I'm about educating parents to look out for the signs. Because one of the things that was really hard parents is when their child comes to them and says I've been abused um, and the process of reporting it comes to police and a lot of people don't ever come forward or a lot of families don't come forward but the process you know the parents are like how did I not see this how did I not know this what was it so grooming is very um, can be very insidious like it's very much about making even the parents get groomed at times so, yeah, so grooming, there's, there's potentially six stages of grooming. Um, and I wrote some notes just in case I forgot the exact details, but um, the six stages are, to, you know, to finding a victim basically. So um, if there's a, if it's someone in the family, it's quite easy to find a victim if you have that uh, relationship with a family or, um, you know, so finding a victim. And usually they're targeting victims which are either vulnerable through age, you know, they're not old enough to be able to you know identify what's happening or speak up or give you know um, that type of vulnerability or the vulnerability of the fact that they might be um, mentally or um, physically impaired or the vulnerability of you know not having a safe home or a safe space where they where they know um, so that's one of the things that they will look for and target um, and then they will gain that victim's trust or the family's trust. So in the cases, some of the cases I saw where it was not a direct family member, but it was someone known to the family, like might be a family friend or a neighbour or um, someone, um, you know, they, they're finding a way to get into that, that family's favour and they become friends with the child, friends with the family um, and become trustworthy to that pe- th- those people. And they're, and you know, they're, they're things that everyone, you know, we don't know unless we're looking out for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, you know, I get, um, you know, it can become a, once you know what I know, you start thinking everyone's doing that, yeah. but there's other, there's other warning signs, of course. Um, then they start feeling a need. So the next part is, is feeling a need. So if a child say, for instance, doesn't have a safe, safe home or someone to talk to at home, they might then start be being that confidant or that leaning, like that person to lean on. If they're a child that hasn't got a lot of um, someone to drive them to sports or families or, you know, um, that's how, you know, those sorts of things where they're finding a way to fill a gap in that child's life or that family's life. Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, generally step three because it's um, or stage three. And then stage four is isolating the child. So, you know, and that could be telling the child things like, you know, um, no one gets you like I do and and making the child feel like they're ex- 
extremely special to that person, but also um, that that child needs them, you know, and, and should come to them before anyone else. And that's very easy to do when you've got a child that's vulnerable, um, very easy to do when a child hasn't got anyone else or or the child is, you know, not sure what's going on. You know, this person seems so good and they're looking after me and they make me feel good, you know. Um, next stage five is generally sexualizing the relationship. So it could start with small touches where the child, to test if the child will say anything or if the child will tell a parent. And it, it generally turns into sharing of nudes or pornography or just testing what the child uh, will and won't um, put up with. You know, some children won't know um, that it's not okay because they just want to please their groomer or to please their abuser. So that's generally uh, part of it. You know, from start start to finish, it can be really quick, like it can happen over not very long or it can take a long time depending on the child and the groomer um, or, the per- or the confidence of the groomer. Um, and then st- stage six is maintaining control. So once you've got a child that is engaging in that sexualized behavior, allowing it because they either a, it's it, you know not all um, child sexual abuse is um, unfortunately you know is painful or um, forceful or violent. It can be, and I've had so many cases where so many victims have been so confused because their abuse was actually quite pleasurable and. They enjoyed the they enjoyed the relationship they had with that person because yeah. they didn't have it anywhere else in their life. So, would you say like coercion and manipulation yeah. is also a very huge hundred percent? Yeah, coercion, manipulation, lying, um, expecting the child to keep secrets. Yes. But in that process, you know, in that process of grooming that person and that child, it can happen. Uh, they test them along the way. You know, don't tell your mum and dad this. They give them presents or gifts or money or, you know, don't tell mum and dad this. And then they're testing them as they go. Um, You know, again, this can happen both in person or online. It happens a lot online. We see children now being extorted for for nudes and, and, um, you know, intimate images or videos. But that same grooming process happens. But it can happen so much quicker online because online children feel safe behind that that device or in their own bedrooms you know in their own homes um and also I've seen grooming in um, domestic violence relationships um so it's very uh it seems to be like a similar pattern within all of those sorts of relationships where there's a power imbalance between the abuser and the the victim So I'm actually really curious now that you said grooming in adult relationships, because I personally haven't heard of it like that way before. I've already, I've always kind of seen it as like coercive control. So that's really kind of stuck in my mind. So would grooming in adult relationships be, for example, like love bombing? Correct. Yeah. uh, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So so like that love bombing. So love bombing happens in child sexual abuse on <laughs> online child sexual abuse or online abuse and in domestic violence in adult relationships so that love bombing is literally the first piece of it right like mm-hmm. you know um and if you know if your listeners haven't heard of love bombing you know love bombing is like excessive compliments you know um wanting to be around them wanting to have them you know wanting them to lean on you um you know, spending so much time together or heaps of like wanting to know where you are all the time and, and you know, and always expecting that, you know, you're full of tension, 
yeah and so that's you know there's more to love bombing I'm sure you can add to that yeah yeah there's like love bombing then there's isolation yeah then there's of course the control and that that happens from it so you've mentioned as well that uh also from children you've also worked with um adults Mm. have you so with children that have been groomed what do you feel the effects are when they become adults? And do you think that it does have a really big effect on their personality and how they evolve into relationships? Oh, 150%. Um, I actually saw a pattern where children or, or adults who had been groomed or abused as children then went on to be victims of abuse as adults. <laughs> and it's, it's, and it's it was horrible to to witness because it's almost like that groom or that person you know you lose that you first of all I found victims of abuse lose that um, trust in themselves that they they lose trust in themselves that they know right uh, or that that gut feeling Um, and I'll talk about protective behaviors and what I think is really important for young kids to know about but they lose trust in themselves they um, they don't think that they're worth more than that 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 they are like they are worth so much more um and you know and then it's almost like a beacon to these abusers out there that that I don't know how they know to target people who have already been abused um I don't know the psychology about around it I just know when I was when I was dealing with these cases I would you know, be interviewing a child and then speaking to the parents of that child and, you know, obviously trying to console them and tell them it's okay. This, you know, children are so resilient, they will get through it, need love and support, et cetera. And then I would find out that they were also abused. And sometimes it would be both parents were abused, abused as children. And it's like, and we, we talk about, you know, it's, it's quite common to talk about generational trauma and, my mission and my focus is in breaking that generational trauma you know, speaking about it, identifying it, allowing people to be educated around it so we can break it, you know, break that cycle. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the psychology, but, yeah, it definitely has an ongoing, never-ending impact on victims and survivors of abuse. Um, you know, I worked as a detective investigating historical child sexual abuse, and in those cases of historical child sexual abuse that happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, some of these cases um, institutionalised, I would see uh, survivors who had, you know, who had struggled their whole lives, you know, some who had, were struggling addiction and some were who were struggling with self-worth, even, you know, into their 60s and 70s because of what happened as a child. And I don't wish that. I I seriously don't wish that on anyone, not not any child, not any person. But what I do know after 10 years is that we are so resilient and we can we can survive and weather anything if we, you know, with the right support, right help and the right mindset. Yes. I, I feel like that's personally a really beautiful response. Um, because also with grooming, I it, it's such uh, a type of violence in itself because like you mm. mentioned it's a lot more insidious and I feel like also in a way it has its uh it's there, there's like this own cycle in itself of how to mm. kind of retrain your brain 
because I feel the effects of trauma of grooming are probably a little bit more different than, say, physical violence itself or, like, onset current violence because it's that evolving connection, that unhealthy connection. Mm. And I think particularly as as a child, it must affect um, attachment issues in that, right? I, I read a statistic that people who um, who did receive grooming as a child, they form more anxious attachment style, and that can kind of that kind of anxiety kind of lasts with them throughout their adulthood. Do you reckon that's true? I would I would agree with that because from the result from the survivors I met and saw and, and interviewed, they tend they tended to have trouble in. Um, forming healthy relationships with either loved ones or friendships and that that would and it definitely is what I observed is that there was a lack of um lack of boundaries in their relationships yeah because they haven't they've had those boundaries smashed when they were a child they haven't and unless they learn or do the the work and healing and and get the help which isn't always available to it's such a, it's, you know, it's easy to say get help, but it is so hard to get it sometimes. Um, and if you don't have a supportive a network, a family or friendship group, um, you know, I say this to my own 15-year-old daughter. She was two when I started in the police. She's 15 now. And I say, you know, we're the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. And and some, I can't remember who said that. So, and what I mean by that is, is if we spend time with people who, you know, don't respect our boundaries, uh, you know, might abuse us in some way, shape or form, um, do, you know, abuse um, substances, you know, don't have healthy uh, viewpoints of themselves. If if that's our network and our group, then that's going to affect how we see ourselves. <laughs> if we spend time with people who are positive, motivated, who, you know, regardless of trauma, have, have found a way to to move through that and heal, then we're most likely going to do that. And unfortunately, that's not the case for everyone. And um, and I don't begrudge anyone how they deal with their trauma, but it, I wish everyone had that knowledge. Yes, because obviously if we all have that knowledge, we are going to help break that generational trauma and even just increase people's enjoyment in life in general. So our children don't have to go through, you know, what we So mm. obviously being a parent, um, this would lead on to our next question. What are the signs and uh, kind of signs and symptoms of children who have been groomed? What can parents and adults look out for? Mm, it really depends on the age and stage of your child. But personally, I, you know, when I think back to like all of the cases I saw and stuff like that, grooming, because it's can be so, um, it can be so, it can come out of nowhere, right? So it can come out of nowhere. But for most parts, I mean, it's like when you think about how people like, you know, how people who are in a relationship that isn't healthy for them and they hide things and they, and they don't tell the truth about stuff. And, you know, um, I think that grooming um, can look like, uh, you know, someone, I, I look at it from the, you know, offender's perspective. You know, I, I like to think I'd rather keep an eye out for an offender than, and then worry to my child too much or my, you know, about that. So I'm looking out for or thinking about, you know, that they're secretive over things like their mobile phones and devices. They they're behind closed doors with children. Like I don't know 
I've got a child and I, I don't know any reason to have a closed door um, conversation or a locked door with a child in a room. You know, they, um, you know, they're really, you know, they might uh, stay up really late at night while everyone else is asleep because they're obviously up to know, you know, something that's not good for them um, or for, for anyone, you know, those sorts of things. In children, they'll be keeping secrets. And that's why it's so important to teach your children about protective behaviours and, um, and you know, they'll, they'll be keeping secrets. They'll be having things, you know, get, being gifted stuff that it's come out of nowhere and you don't know why. You know, it's a bit easier for a groomer who is in the family to mm. gift stuff. But if all of a sudden um, that your child who who isn't being groomed by someone in the home has things that they you don't know why they're there, you know, I also heard a, a podcast with um, someone talking about Larry Nassar, the the famous, uh, famous, not famous, infamous um, Team America gymnast coach or whatever he was. Um, the, I think he was a chiropractor. And he would spend lots and lots of time with, with the, the athletes. And he, there was people who later reflected on him and said he was always with the kids and we always said to him, oh, how can you spend that much time with children? And mm -hmm. he would say, I just love children. I love them. And I love spending time with them, like red flagged all over. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone wants to spend more time with your child than you want to spend with them because, you know, you love them and, and appreciate, you know, then that's to me a bit strange. Um, but again, you know, gifts, secrets, uh, and that's why, um, and, you know, also children, some of their symptoms when it comes to grooming and being abused are not verbal. They are physical, you know, stomach aches all the time, um, you know, the anxiety, you know, all of those things, depression. You know, if a young child or a child or a teenager is showing signs of anxiety, depression, stomach aches, headaches, you know, those those symptoms of something's not right, then, you know, not necessarily they're being groomed, but, you know, have a look at their what's going on in their world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's valuable insight and information right, right there. And you're right, it can be a very difficult. But what also struck me about what you mentioned is adults. If you are suspecting that an adult or someone that you know, particularly, you know, in the family or a friend of the family that you think is is participating in perpetrating grooming behaviour, like what should you do? Mm. Gosh, and, you know, I, I obviously being a police officer, being an ex-police officer, I would be very confident in saying, hey, what's going on? Or speaking with a child, I would be more inclined to, to quiz or question the child to get a full mm -hmm. um, and hopefully I mean again hopefully you're a safe adult in that child's life and you're someone who can um, someone who can that child feels comfortable enough to yeah. disclose things with if they don't feel comfortable enough and you're still suspicious because I've had children who I've interviewed who haven't felt comfortable enough straight away to talk to me but I have built a relationship and a rapport with them that they come back later and disclose so you know identifying telling a child that you know it's not okay for people to touch your you you know touch you in your private parts you know it, you you have the right to feel safe um you know if anyone's making you feel unsafe do you know how it feels unsafe you know when your body feels unsafe another thing that we find is even as adults we ignore our body early warning signs our body's yes. warning signs right and if you're being a victim of abuse 
you're more likely to not identify them as early warning signs or or you know those you know like those butterflies in your tummy that anxiety that you know sweaty hands headache stomach ache um shaky knees those sorts of things you know helping a child realize that those are your early warning signs and that they're a sign that something doesn't feel right and to tell a safe adult now a safe adult is someone who is you know someone they trust and someone who will do something about it so you know, and um, and they're an adult. They have to be an adult because, unfortunately, children can go and tell their other sibling who's the same age or not much older and what are they going to do about it. So, yeah, yeah. so um, back to your question, um, <laughs> back to your question about, you know, what is it that we can, um, you know, what can we do? I would try and um, substantiate or identify if something actually was going on with the child. Now, in a situation where um, you're in a school or it's a friend's child or, you know, I, again, that's what I would do. I'd be like, hey, I noticed that you're, you know, you're not being feeling well or you're upset or, you know, uh, you know, is everything okay with this person? You know, it's not okay. I would reiterate those lessons. It's not okay for anyone to touch you to make you feel uncomfortable. You have the right to feel safe at all times. Um, if you don't, then, you know, I'm here to help you. I can do something for you. I can make it go away. I can you know, um, and again, it's hard, but I guess if you see abuse in, in real, you know, in real time, then, you know, police, um, you know, whatever, but again, child sexual abuse and sexual abuse and any kind of abuse is usually done behind closed doors where no one can see it. Yes. It's really yeah. hard. It's a really hard situation. I, I get a lot of questions online and, and to me on social media. And I usually say, have you spoken to your police? You know, even if you just give them a call and say, hey, I'm really concerned about a child that I know, um, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. Yeah. Um, and get their advice because if, even if they say to you, look, there's not much we can do unless someone comes forward, but, you know, reiterating to the child that they have the right to feel safe and reiter and then, you know, making a call, um, then that might be the best, you know, target I'd say the police first because that's their duty, that's their job. Um, but if you're not happy with that, go to, you know, your local Department of Child Protection. You know, there is options. Yeah, and I think that that's really good to say that there is options, um, you know, because we are we are not alone in this. And mm. you're right, the, you know, the uh, the cases of children that have been groomed are, are, are much more larger range than what is even documented, right? Because many um, many definitely. are unreported. So I guess the best way to finish this podcast is, you know, obviously you'll be, you know, you're a parent. There are there are parents that are going to be listening to this episode. Um, how can we instill that confidence and that mm. intelligence in our children for them to be safe and and kind of uh, not be able to try our best to not let our children enter in these in these types of situations? Because I guess you know there's more to it than saying, "Oh, yeah. if someone buys you McDonald's because I yeah. want to touch you, you say no." Like there's more to it than that. How mm. can we how can we ensure our children are safe? Yeah, sure. So um, definitely, like I've, I've mentioned it before and I mentioned it again, only because I know protective behaviours, um, teaching protective behaviours, which is a set of lessons and I'll quickly go through them, is probably the most, uh, It's it doesn't abuse proof your child, but it's as close as. 
Because if your child understands them and you have that communication with your child, I mean, we don't know what we don't know until we know it, right? And we naturally assume that children will know when something's not right and come and tell us. But that's the, that's the you know, scary thing about grooming is, is that you can groom a child to believe that it's okay and that it's not scary and that it's, you know, and that it's comfortable and okay and exciting. And, you know, groomers are, are very well versed in how to make children like what they're doing to them. That's the whole purpose of grooming. So, oh, that's the whole purpose of getting a child to trust them. And so if for us, our job is to ensure that our child as parents and as, you know, adults, in a child's life is to know our children need to know that they have the right to feel safe at all times that if they ever feel unsafe that they should come and speak to one of their safety team so first of all we need to so we need to let them know that you know no one's allowed to touch their private parts you're they're not allowed to touch anyone else's private parts and if anyone ever asks them to or show them and if anyone ever asks them to then that's not okay come and speak to an adult come and speak to a safe adult even you know yeah can yeah, i go just on? Sorry, can I just, I just even want to point out even something like, you know, as simple as a tactic of if you touch me, I will give you this. Yes. How do you like kind of instill that in a child to say that's not okay if, if you know, because as children, we're reward-based and we're also affection-based. Mm. So how as a child do you say, you know, if that person says wants to buy you a gift or tell you they love you if you touch them, how do you say that's not okay? Well, in a perfect world, we'd hope that their home life is safe and someone yeah. that at home is giving them these lessons and that they're in a safe environment at home. But it's straight. I, I, you know, I've been teaching my daughter since three about this stuff and I've been straight up honest with her. You know, one of the first things I did was teach her the anatomical correct names of her body parts and, and everyone's body parts, male, female, and um, in between, non-binary, whatever. Um, they need to know exactly what body parts are and, as they age, it makes it so much easier to teach them about puberty and all of and sex and everything like that. So anatomical correct names for everything. You know, there's no fluffing around with it. You know, it's a penis, it's a vulva, it's a vagina, it's a testicles, it's breasts, it's an anus. You know, it's not any funny names. Um, and then, you know, when we when, when I was teaching my daughter that no one's allowed to touch her, um, you know, she was still only three, maybe between three and four, um, she was going to um, uh, going to daycare, you know. So, she, you know, it was straight. We don't touch anyone on there, vulva, vagina, penis, and they you're not allowed to touch anyone. They're not allowed to show you. No one's allowed to, you know, if someone says, can you please, and I used to do little role-playing with her, you know. I used to say, if anyone says this to you, what do you say? And or if anyone, you know, so... I used to just role play and just say, what if someone said this, I'll give you this, you know, and it's very, you know, it's very easy to, you know, some there's tricky people out there, they will trick you. And I used to just explain it in those that in those terms. And obviously, I'm a little bit more cautious than the average person after all I've seen, but I just didn't leave my daughter with strangers. I didn't leave her with anyone I didn't trust. And even leaving her in a daycare setting, you know, I wanted to know, you know, who was the daycare um, people, you know, ask them about their policies and procedures around, you know, safe touching, unsafe touching. Did they teach protective behaviours? Um, yeah, so obviously anatomical names. No one's allowed to touch yours. Mine, not allowed to show them. If they do this, role play along with that. Um, 
teach them about their safety team or their safety network or their safe adults. We ask kids to try and name five. Now, a three or four-year-old might struggle to name a couple. You know, they might name mum, dad and nan or pop or their dog, um, which isn't obviously a person. But, um, you know, as they keep going, we keep reminding them that these people, these five people, we also need to let those people know that they're on the safe team. And if, if, you know, my daughter comes to them or if whoever the child is comes to them, that if they come to them and tell them something, that you want them to act in a certain way, you want them to tell them that, thank you for telling me, you know, I believe you, it, you're okay, you're safe now, and I'm going to do something about it and do something about it. Because unfortunately, I have to teach children when I go into schools that if the first person you don't tell does nothing, go to the next person. Mm. Because only one in three adults in Australia believe a person when they've been told them that they've been sexually abused. Oh, and that's so it. that's when it comes to that's comes that's what yeah so sad right and the biggest complaint and the biggest um not complaint but the biggest damage trauma that i have seen in victims and survivors is that when they told their family when they told a safe person they weren't believed and they were pushed aside and told to get over it or told to they lied and that does more generally does more trauma than the actual trauma of the abuse yeah so so, um, you know, if and I have to teach kids to keep going. Like, don't give up on the first person if you tell the first person, which is so, so sad. Um, so, yeah, so tell safety team secrets versus surprises or seek unsafe secrets, secrets. Teaching your child that, you know, a secret is something that, you know, sets off your early warning signs, has no end to date time. You know, it could be someone st- seeing someone stealing something or hurting someone. A safe secret or a surprise is, you know, what I got mum for my, her birthday that I don't want her to know until her birthday. You know, it's got an end date and it's it's a happy thing. You know, them knowing the difference between those two things as young as possible means that, you know, a groomer can't get the, the wool over their eyes and, and make them believe that they're not doing something wrong. Um, and also, you know, language of um, consent and safety one of the best things that my daughter learned during her time at daycare, and I've used this in my book, is to say, stop it, I don't like it, with a with her palm up in a stop sign, right? Mm-hmm. And she used to say, stop it, I don't like it, if we tickled her and she didn't want you to tickle her. Or as she aged and got to her, uh, a much older age where she had better language skills and understanding, she would say, I don't consent to you tickling me. But that's because we talked about it. We talked about consent. But you can start very young with, stop it, I don't like it, or you know, um, and the biggest thing about that is for adults in their lives to respect that boundary and teach kids that if they say stop, it means stop and that it's not okay if they continue. Yeah, and you know what? That is a perfect way to end this video because that is such a straightforward way. If you if they say stop, you stop. So yeah. I think that's really perfect. So thank you so much for the interview. And I had, I've learned so much from today. So thank you for Thanks, that. Ruby. Woman telling her story. Come on from the heart of the mystery to spell it. Years of violence. We are breaking the silence.